Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. I'm a blur with a love of artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a writer and blurred with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a DC production compared to its original source material and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This season, we're getting whelmed for DC's greatest sidekicks and covering every episode of Young Justice on... Yeah, another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year where Macarena became the number one song. Everyone loved it. it. Everyone liked it. Despite not knowing the lyrics were about a woman betraying her soldier boyfriend by cheating on him with two different people. What? <laughs> That's what the lyrics are. <laughs> Macarena has a boyfriend who is named with the last name Vitorino. And while he's being sworn in as a conscript, she's giving it to two friends. Those are the lyrics of Macarena. What? Hey, Macarena, indeed. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? Okay. New rule in society. Please share the lyrics with people before you make it a popular song. I feel like this has happened at least with three songs in my life already. I did not expect to add the Macarena as the fourth one. Yeah. Look, sometimes popular things are not what they seem, hey? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about some very popular heroes with some very dark ulterior motives as we are continuing on with our coverage of Young Justice with episodes 17 and 18 of season two, Young Justice Invasion. The invasion is almost coming to an end, we think, as we are talking about episodes The Hunt and Intervention. Uh, so this is a reminder, when we last left off with our show, we were on like May 28th, the, as we learned in the, for like, just like in the Macarena, uh, people were betrayed as Blue Beetle betrayed the entire Young Justice team as it was revealed that he was a part of the Reach. Um, so the timing for this episode is going to take place right after that with um, actually a date right before May 27th, taking us all the way to June 14th. So we have a lot to cover surprisingly in these two episodes these two days of <laughs> content emissions here <laughs> they were jam-packed indeed yes <laughs> and because of you know the betrayal of friends and the fact that we have so many beetles in this i have been torn about what to call this episode so andrew i'm going to give you the luxury today of naming our episode today between these two choices do we go with Super Amigos or Big Bad Beatles, bro? As a uh, as a lifelong Beetleborgs fan, I would I would be remiss if I missed up the opportunity to, to call it Big Bad Beatles, bro. <laughs> All right. So today's episode is Big Bad Beatles, bro, because we are seeing every single version of our Beatles from the Reach coming in, especially the armored 
uh, crew that we had dealing with in one of our first episodes. But before we jump into all that, here is a full list of our cast. Um, honestly, there's no one new today. You don't have to worry about it because we have such returning cast members such as Janice Kawei as Asami Sam Kwasumi, who's one of our Runaways characters from an earlier episode. Greg Rainwater as Ty Longshadow. Brighton James returns as the young Virgil Hawkins. Freddie Rodriguez is once again Eduardo Dorado Jr. Allison Stona is Batgirl. Lacey Chabert is Zatanna. And fun fact, the Egyptian god Isis. Uh, we'll get to that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Phil Lamar is continuing on as the Green Beetle and the Reach Ambassador. And wrapping it up, we have Rocket, who is Denise Boutet. Um, they have all returned to help us wrap up these last set of episodes that we're now going to begin as we Zeta Tube over to beginning of Hunt. So we can see right now that the war world is open for business but can't move yet. The Justice League is guarding it. They do not want anybody else turning that thing on again. And we get a little bit of background about what the Reach sacrificed. Apparently, 67% of their fleet was lost while battling War World. So they do have... Black Beetle is pissed about this, the loss of his forces. And now they're kind of exposed and open for questioning. And this is when we also zoom out and reveal that every hero, even... The great Mal himself, Guardian 2, <laughs> is on stasis. And there's only one person that could unravel the whole plan, a loose end, with a special arm. Yes, we have Roy Harper, who ah, I gave him so much crap about this last episode because I was just like, yeah, you can't just leave the team. You can't just like almost kill us all. But you know what? Who would have thought that he had this trick up his sleeve as he is now leading a one man mission to try and take down the entire reach while communicating, trying to communicate, at least with the forces outside, trying to see if he get in touch with the Justice League, other members of his team, literally anyone. He even calls for any kind of help. I, I got to give my boy some credit here. He's taken on an entire army mm -hmm. <laughs> solo. And just because he does not want to get put back in the pod. So <laughs> while he's fighting for his life on the war world, down on Earth, the Blue Beetle is being promoted as this big reach hero, the hero who stopped war world. And... The most journalistic kid in America, seriously, Lois Lane, if you need an intern, get this kid, because she asked, hey, Mr. Beetle, why didn't the League help? <laughs> and the Reach ambassador basically, basically was like, because the Reach has no game. They can't handle what Blue Beetle can handle. Mm. And they even step on a Wonder Woman toy. That was insulting. <laughs> I was like, this is the way that you create propaganda by doing things like this. It was like, you could play it off. Be like, oh, I didn't see it. But no, he knew what he was doing. Just terrible. The branding. Come on, guys. <laughs> so as the Reach are being celebrated and lifted upon, we see our four runaways again running around town destroying signs and while i approve of all the sign destruction of the reach my man did not have to teleport to he destroy did that sign that was so <laughs> extra <Yes. laughs> 
<laughs> and he did it with style too. It's like he teleported up to it, flipped around, took off the sign, teleported it again to throw it at a higher height so that it could shatter to pieces. Eduardo, I, you got some you got some things to talk to, my man. Like this was too much. <laughs> this is how he works out his issues. This is his stress relief. <laughs> But after they complete their property destruction, uh, they they meet back at their HQ where Luthor is saying, hey, I got a mission for you guys. Basically, he's letting them know, hey, I have something called a father box, conveniently, that can locate Kryptonians wherever they are. So why don't y'all take that father box and go and save your friends? And they're like, oh, what is this? What is the incentive? He says, well... If you go there, you save your friends, you land a blow to your, the reach. That's what you want to do, right? And they're like, okay. So Asami tries it out and Hark accidentally teleports all of them onto the war world, which because they said it could be a few miles of Superboy, they were very lucky they didn't end up in the vacuum of space. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that too. I was just like, come on, that that was... I mean, I need to know also how big, I guess, War World is because it is funny that, like, they honestly did not end up in the vacuum of space. <laughs> it was like the convenience of writing. <laughs> Meanwhile, also in very close proximity to War Worlds, we see that Miss Martian and Nightwing are on the bio ship. They are going through a scan of War World to try to see if they can find their their comrades who have been locked up in stasis. This is the first time that we've actually seen Miss Martian and Nightwing in the vicinity of each other, I think, since her kidnapping, quote air quotes on that, because I know that she had to be forcibly taken to, to make it look good. This leads into a very kind of open and frank conversation where at first it does, they do talk about the fact that they've been searching for a while. In fact, they've been searching for hours to try to see if they could find any trace of their team. Um, and this is, again, stemming right from the episode in which Blue Beetle had betrayed them. And everybody was taken away and locked in stasis on War World as the Reach has now taken over the entire um, moon. I, yeah, I guess it's a moon. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it's pretty much moon sized, uh, the whole thing. And yeah, this is a good I, I do want to take a second for this scene because mm-hmm. Nightwing and McGann are really stressed about their friends and having them it's it's always nice as these seasons go on and the cast gets bigger when we get some of the ogs hanging out and like taking a moment so Mm -hmm. we we definitely get some good stuff here in the episode as they're trying to scan for clues one more time roy roy is out here struggling uh, (laughs) because his arm just ran out of juice He has to dodge lasers to steal a spear from an alien screaming, you'll never pot me again. Never. (laughs) This man is, he went to jail and he's not going back. Um, While he is fortunate enough to find a charging station that is conveniently adaptable to his arm. uh, The four runaways arrive just in time to meet the security staff. Yeah. I guess, to be honest, I think the vacuum of space would have been a better placement for them than where they were there. (laughs) (laughs) Because they fall right in the middle of this patrol as they 
are surrounded by them. They don't know what to do. We don't know where they're going to be placed next. So the immediate reaction for a lot of them is for Virgil to um, to stop what he's doing and just surrender. It's a shocking scene as you see more of them continue to surrender. But then Virgil shows that they had a bigger plan as they use this confusion as an opportunity to activate their powers and knock out these rich soldiers. We see that um, Eduardo again is using his teleportation powers really well, I will say, because he at one point uses it as a trick where he pretends that he's falling into the depths of the war world as he's knocked off a little ledge, but then he uses that to teleport and uses his momentum from his fall to knock over three Reach soldiers while also saving himself. That's cool. I, yeah. I my jaw kind of dropped when I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> now we can see why he's being extra. He's practicing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Roy watches, observes them all for, from a distance, but isn't ready to go and shake hands with them yet. He decides to just keep his distance. Meanwhile, Nightwing and McGann skip, go back to War World. And this is where they get a really another really good conversation. Because basically, in both in turn, blame themselves for all the events they have transpired. They each say, if I had done this, if I had done that, if I had probed Green Beetle, if I had trusted the team. Mm-hmm. But after they go back and forth on this like guilt Olympics, <laughs> McGann actually says, you know what? We could play this game all day, but right now what we need to do, what's most important is that we forgive ourselves so we can go and save our friends. And that's a really, really good message mm-hmm. um, to to all audiences of, you know, just sometimes forgiveness is the way out. Forgiving yourself is the hardest, but first step. Luckily, this nice moment is capped off by the arrival of Spear, who I guess I forgot was launched into space a while <laughs> ago. I, for, I was just like, how does fear get up there? I <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah, so he uh, he Sphere shows up to take them straight to the missing captives, and the Reach Ambassador conveniently gets all of this news right before he is about to go on TV with G. Godfrey. <laughs> Yes, we see that our resident Tucker Carlson is deciding <laughs> that it is time to um, have the Reach Ambassador appear on his show. They're using this as a warm exchange to just continue on with their... Apparently, this is not the first time that the Ambassador has been on the show, which I do remember now that most of the time it's been most of that conversations in the moment kind of interviews that are happening so it seems that there there's a good rapport between g gordon and our reach ambassador here so as that's continuing on um unfortunately we don't have cable in space so we have to just find we have to wait to see how that turns out as we're back on war world and the runaways have finally located Superboy using the father box and they see how the rest of the team are locked away in these like stasis pods and they're trying to figure out how to actually get into it to unlock it. Unfortunately, they come face to face with their greatest adversary as Black Beetle appears on the ship, who Black Beetle apparently was on there earlier when um, he was stationed there to keep an eye out for uh, the crystal, I believe. There's like a crystal mm-hmm. key that helps to activate War World. So this leads into Black Beetle giving his, of course, very dominating 
like threatening presence as he basically says, "You're, I'm going to kill you all right now. There's nothing you can do." And Virgil, he he shook. He's shook at this moment because he recounts the fact that the last time he escaped from a reach ship, this was the being that gave the entire team the work. So it's not even a sense of like be on your toes. It's just like try to figure out the best way that we can get out of this situation because we're not like these other heroes. We don't have this these training. We're going to be here fighting for our lives. So don't forget that this is not the signs of the reach soda that we are facing against anymore. <laughs> yeah, that that training is really going to have to come in handy today. Mm-hmm. And I I do like this scene because it starts with Black Beetle absolutely walking over these kids as he should because these yeah. kids are inexperienced. They haven't done a lot of battling. But then our boy Roy, who's Ooh. our boy Roy, as they would <laughs> chant in melee, comes in and disables Black Beetle's jetpack and tells the team, hey, we're not going to win this fight. All right? Mm-hmm. Like, don't don't even pretend like that's possible. But what we can do is keep him off balance mm-hmm. by using our powers in creative ways that he doesn't expect. So while they all are go, this is where they all team up. They, they find a rhythm where they're just hitting him from all different angles, transporting, teleporting, doing whatever they can to keep him off balance while they figure out how to get their comrades to safety. And for a second... We cut back to the world, uh, come back to Earth, the cable appearance where G. Gordon is very nice. He's very cordial. And then he switches on a dime with a gotcha of, <laughs> oh, y'all said y'all only had one ship. And he's like, oh, yeah, but that that wasn't what I really said. And then he plays the cl- He has the receipts. Right. He has the receipts of the ambassador saying we have one ship with no weapons. What the hell is going on? And it is clear that the ambassador cannot spin this, can't get away from this. So while he tries to call his PR person about how they messed this up, we go back to the war world where an unexpected guest logs into the chat for that crystal key. (laughs) Yes, we see that Deathstroke makes an appearance here as he uses, I'm assuming he also uses a father box to open a boom tube right into war world quickly takes down some of the Reach soldiers who have been monitoring the situation, given the fact that Black Beetle is no longer present there. So this makes it light work for Deathstroke. As he locates the key, unlocks it, and then takes it away to who knows where for the use of the light. I love how he just didn't even fight. Like, he, he didn't, he, the heroes didn't even know he was there. Like, he, he was just getting his groceries. Like, <laughs> And then he took I, the I, express item lane. That's what he did. right. <laughs> he scanned a PS uh, a PS five as a tomato and just got out of there. Like <laughs> this man. <laughs> oh man, yeah. But meanwhile, as Deathstroke, you know, gets the key and wins the day, uh, we see that another thing gets unlocked as Arsenal is decides to try to see if he can unlock some help. Now, most people would think, go for the heroes. He said, no, we are going for the biggest of the baddest as he unlocks Mongol from his stasis, leading into a battle of 
like battle of the fist between Black Beetle and Mongol. And I just love this fight because it is two individuals who we have given the title of most jacked to in this season already, at least in one of these episodes. Yeah, the clash. This is a clash of titans, right? Mm-hmm. And and they both have beef to settle, mm-hmm. so they go at it. And while the kids free the rest of the team, Roy actually has the presence of mind to go and try to get the crystal key as well. But that's when he discovers it's already gone. As the the kids run around trying to get away, they're like, "All right, Mongol is distracting Black Beetle. Now's a great time to get out of here." So Nightwing and Magan show up and reveal they've gotten rid of all the soldiers already. The The road is clear. And they're all able to get to the bio ship. They're lingering on the world a little bit too long to have an important conversation. But here is where we get to the most controversial bit of the episode, where Bumblebee reveals, to Ro- reveals that, hey, Roy... Earlier, almost shot a he shot a hole in the ship, almost got us all killed just so he wouldn't get captured. And Arsenal's like, "What? Well, it worked, right? Like mm-hmm. you're not captured anymore." And Nightwing goes, "Cool, cool, cool, cool. You're off the team." <laughs> it's it's big, and I love the the way that kind of paralleled with that the same like right before Nightwing was talking to the runaways saying that like, Hey, you guys did some really great work today, especially with no training. We should talk with y'all about uh, opportunity on the team. And who would have thought that like to gain four members, you had to lose one with Roy. It's a really shocking scene, especially because again, they are lingering and there's just a lot that's going on that requires for them to get off of this ship. But it does drastically change the dynamic of how things are going. Because at the same time, as the Runaways are hearing, and I'm just calling them the Runaways because of the fact that's what their episode was called. Yeah. Um, no, not nothing against Marvel, because I know they might come after me. <laughs> but as the Runaways hear this, they're they're quite upset because they they agree with Roy. They're like, if Roy hadn't been here, we all would have been dead. We wouldn't have had the upper hand that we had. And it's clear that, you know, if you're not taking that into consideration, it's clear that you don't really care about people like us. Like you only care about us because you're like, okay, we did some good for you. So now you're going to take us away from being in the captivity. Everything that the way they've been treated by the team. And I can see that they have just been held against their own will. They have experienced very dark moments against this team, people who they thought were heroes. And now they're seeing who is someone who is just like has truly helped them out in this way. They're also being used by this team. So they give Arsenal the the look and just say, hey, you want to you wanna come along with us? Because we have our own means of getting off of War World that doesn't consist of a three hour car um, bio ship rides back to Earth which Arsenal agrees and takes the, take the opportunity on. Yeah, and I just want to say one last thing about this uh, Nightwing decision. That The other brilliant thing with how you can tell this is really written is when you look at it from Nightwing's perspective, mm-hmm. had Roy not done all of that, mm-hmm. what would have happened? They still would have found them because they still mm-hmm. would have shown up. Sphere would have st- shown up at the right time because it was only really the other Robins... Batarang that alerted 
Nightwing to the fact that anything was wrong. So that still would have happened. And Roy's interference didn't really change the game all that much for the team. So, and Nightwing could have enacted another plan that could have resulted in everybody getting out. So at the end of the day, and probably with stealth, that wouldn't have alerted the entire war world that they were even there. (laughs) So all that to say that at the end of the day, Nightwing does have a good point about Roy's recklessness and how it could have easily backfired and resulted in more deaths than even captures. But all that said, Arsenal gets down to Earth with the team and immediately he turns to the laptop and sees that they're working for Lex. And he's so quick because he real puts two and two together. He's like, why would they send why would Lex send you up? So he could get the crystal key that was missing. Mm-hmm. Lex played all of y'all. And Lex is like, what do you mean? Did <laughs> I t- I told you you were gonna get your friends and you're gonna do- deal able to the reach. Did- didn't you get to do all of that? Was I wrong? <laughs> he's not wrong but he's just out of line <laughs> and also the line where lex where it's like you sent a pawn lex is like i sent a bishop Respect Yo, on death I, like, <laughs> I love the fact that a boss is just like put my employee at a higher rank please thank you very much <laughs> that man is salaried all right calm down <laughs> he's got benefits <laughs> Now the runaways here are just confused about what to do. They just decide, you know what, we're going to play the game for ourselves. As they, Asami, she takes the, the father box and throws it onto the laptop that is still doing the Zoom chat with Lex and uses her abilities to blow up both devices. Um, this leads into Virgil claiming that the group are just going to, again, not going to they're not going to connect with anybody else. They're going to be for themselves. They're going to only support themselves. They're not going to care about anybody else as they run off in the distance. Now, all five of them unsure about where they're heading to, but you know, it's kind of a, a nice little moment as we just know that like, Hey, they're still around, but we don't know where they're going to next. There's no way to even intervene on their next mission or anything because we have to hop on over to our next episode, Intervention. Black Beetle is salty. Um, <laughs> he's still fighting Mongo. I think salty is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's like, if you combine the pretzel on a New York City pretzel, just all, <laughs> all that salt, all that yeah. salt on that, and then dip it into like an Auntie Anne's pretzel mixture of salt. You <laughs> might then get over, halfway there. And then overseason it. <laughs> yeah, deep fry it and overseason it. Because yeah. this man, he wanted to smoke. He said he wanted the 18 versus one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> but Green Beetle shows up, knocks some sense into Mongo by. Not even trying to do a head-on fight, just knocks Mongo back into stasis. So you can bet he'll be pissed when he gets out. And Black Beetle is ready to go and get more smoke. But they said the most important thing to do, Crystal Key is gone. You need to keep patrolling War Worlds because whoever has the key is gonna make a move. So with Black Beetle left to be a security guard, as he says it, we go back to Blue Beetle who is about to get a medal. The team returns to um to the makeshift Mount Justice now, which is located in Bloodhaven, as Impulse is immediately asking for, 
you know, trying to check in on Blue Beetle. And this is where Nightwing just turns on the TV to share either a live feed or a recording. If it was a recording, I I like Nightwing's skills because it's just like <laughs> he knows that this is going to be the first question. But if it was live, that is the biggest coincidence I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Look, he, he's got his the bat DVR. I don't know what to tell you. Like. <laughs> so as Blue Beetle's getting this medal for what he's done, um, Impulse is watching and it's tough for him to see because he knows that now his friend or the person he's been trying to make his friend has been fully taken over by the Reach. And a lot of the other heroes are starting to realize that it's just like, you know, this is weird that he's getting so much good press given that he's a traitor. But everybody's still unsure about what happens except for Nightwing who shares that like, yes, he has been taken captive. We need to find a way to free him as... We see him in action, by which I mean Blue Beetle, as he faces off against the most dangerous individual within Metropolis, Toy Man. Yes, my request for Toy Man was mm-hmm. made recently, and uh, thanks thanks to Calendar Man, and he <laughs> granted it. It must be a Father's Day gift, because <laughs> Toy Man is here, and he is messing up Metropolis, and I do have to give it to him. As soon as he sees Jaime show up, he's like, this is a Superman city. This is unfair. Bro, Superman is easier to fight than Blue Beetle? I doubt that. I, I, I think so, because Blue Beetle could create any kind of weapon. Superman is still weak against Kryptonite. We have not learned of any weakness for Blue Beetle quite yet. <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. But I don't know, Toy Man. I think you're overestimating your abilities here. <laughs> So Jaime easily destroys Toy Man's latest creation and he goes down to Cat Grant to interview for um, the next PR stunt. And I, I love this really metaphorical thing here where Blue Beetle's words are coming through the Scarab. So it's not Jaime mm-hmm. at all. It's the Scarab speaking. And the ambassador is giving the Scarab the words to say, making <laughs> Blue Beetle the literal mouth mouthpiece. Mm. of <laughs> yeah, the literal mouthpiece of the reach i love that kind of like sh- dig at like politicians that are paid off to be mouthpieces <laughs> and he literally is that here yeah and it's um and at the same time we see that jaime is he, he clearly knows that like what's happening because unfortunately he is not in control of his body but he is very conscious of this fact um, and it's showed that like as he's even commenting, it's just like, why is this? Why are you making me wave for so long? I don't smile like this. Why am I <laughs> like I didn't pick up on the mouthpiece part, but that's like a really this is a really good analogy for that because yeah, he's like doing things that are outside of his norm. Even as he's flying back home, he even states, I'm tired of seeing you pretend to be me in front of my family. And at this moment, we see that a lot of other people are tired of Blue Beetle impersonating somebody who's supposed to be good as Impulse and Batgirl engage Blue Beetle as it, Batgirl uses a grapple hook to wrap onto Blue Beetle's foot so that it gives Impulse enough time to super speed on the line to head on over to Blue Beetle's back and using his abilities to vibrate the jetpack that's attached to Blue Beetle so that it falls apart. That was great. That was, <laughs> that was a great was, plan. 
it was because it was and it happened in all of like i'm assuming like 10 seconds which is crazy yeah and so it's just batgirl and and impulse against blue beetle and as you can expect as skilled as these two are they're just not enough to take down blue beetle he's just so equipped uh to handle everything and scarab is able to incapacitate both of them with the staples that again always look violent (laughs) um and he's instructed to kill both of them and i I, look i didn't want this to happen but i had the thought of like you can kill impulse he'll be born later whatever it doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) i know i know i don't know why intrusive thoughts Uh, and as the ambassador is saying the first kills are the hardest suddenly blue beetle is trapped in a abandoned in a barrier and before he can even analyze the kinetic barrier he's trapped in it's reinforced by magic from zatanna so zatanna and rocket are once again proving justice league material ain't ain't no team here they are justice league caliber people because they they completely incapacitate blue beetle with just a couple of moves and you know they they acknowledge that there are no countermeasures for this so as they take Jaime away, we cut back to because we didn't mention, but Megan went down to see Lagoon Boy in Atlantis and said, hey, can we talk? And we all know what that means. Mm-hmm. And now we finally get to see their conversation. Yeah. While um, while Miss Marsha and Lagan are talking, they're on the bio ship and Lagan is hurt. He's just like, I don't understand why you're breaking up with me. And Magan shares that she had a lot of time to think while she was held in captivity, being forced to kind of try to uh, rehabilitate Calder. And during that time, she realized that a lot of things that she was doing was to make herself feel better. Um, you know, she we we don't know how it exactly looked during that during the entire breakup between her and Superboy, but they were together for a while, we're assuming. And then she immediately, if not soon after, started dating Lagan. So she never had any time to think about things that she was doing or ways that she could, that she wanted to do internally for herself. And being with Lagan just made her feel better. But she was still doing some of the same things that many other people were saying aren't good. Like she is the way that she was mind exploding people. I'm I'm, I'm just gonna call it that. <laughs> um. <laughs> All of that, she just she was just looking for some comfort, and Lagan provided that. But it isn't fair to him. In fact, she said she even calls herself selfish for not putting into consideration his own thoughts and feelings, especially because she knew going into this relationship that it might just be a rebound relationship. And she states that, "Listen, you are my rebound, and I'm sorry that it has come to this, but you deserve better." Uh, and thankfully she did not use the statement at least that I think we should just be friends. I think she just said, I just need to work on myself before I be with you. She did hit him with the, it's not you, it's me. She so, did. She... <laughs> uh, and I do Lagoon Boy, pathetic as he is, is like, it sort of was a rebel, but it, it, it evolved to more than that, right? And he's like, nah, man. And even so... worse, she, he brought up Connor again. Like, it's getting to a point where it's just like, ah, my guy, like people are independent of each other. <laughs> She's not codependent in any way, shape or form. 
So now that we've gone through this painful breakup for everyone, uh, I mean, I enjoyed it a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, you can go back to the go back under the sea where he belongs. (laughs) So we see Blue Beetle is still in captivity with the with Rocket, Zatanna, Impulse, and a few other heroes. And the ambassador tries to shake rattle these these heroines, and they don't care. Mm-mm. They don't care. They got They're big like, Lex energy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like, do you know our stats combined? <laughs> Come on. And it's revealed that they're in Bialia. So as they go into this hangar, they're immediately attacked by the jacked crew itself. Um, just all the jacked characters plus Shimmer are there to take them down. <laughs> and it it does look like they're actually going to run in trouble because Rocket can't participate in the battle because she's busy holding the, the force bubble together. But eventually they get a little bit more backup and they're able to incapacitate the gang with another clay face bomb. I'm telling you, whoever is in R&D making those, mm-hmm. Kudos, because also, how do they not suffocate with that? I wonder that every time. Um, <laughs> and Rocket, there's a cool moment here where Rocket goes to Satana. How do you speak backwards so fast to cast all your spells? And she's like, maybe that's my native language, which isn't an explanation, but it I'll take a, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Rocket not being able to fight because she is holding the force bubble is a nice little touch that I'm glad that they included because I feel like if she was able to create another force bubble, it would have start giving us some questions like what are her full capabilities? What can she do? What can she do? How big is the bubble? Like how small can it be? Can she use it as like projectiles? We don't have to worry about all that. She's already using one. That's it. I like that. (laughs) I like that explanation. Them's the rules. (laughs) And it is a good thing that uh, they were able to succeed because now they're going into another section in this looks like what looks like an Egyptian pyramid Mm -hmm. of some sort. The soundtrack goes crazy here. Facts. Absolutely goes crazy. I'm downloading this track. (laughs) This is crazy. Um, As they reveal that they have a plan to restore Blue Beetle. But unfortunately, they're not going to be able to do it free and clear because while Zatanna is preparing the ritual and meditating Green Beetle arrives and he is not happy with them at all he isn't but unfortunately for him as Batgirl said he has a kryptonite so there is a fun little scene in which Rocket and Zatanna are just like we are literally doing everything we can (laughs) to save y'all can you step up into the plate in any way shape or form (laughs) Batgirl in an impulse and of course, Impulse jokingly states that like he he's hoping that more Justice League members could step up like this, but it gives him an opportunity to um finally try to do some stuff and in a really cool way, in which upon stating that Green Beetle has this kryptonite, which is fire, because once again, Green Beetle is of Mars, he uh Batgirl throws a bomb at Green Beetle's way and Impulse uses his abilities to create a fire tornado around him. Now, this does give look as this is given the upper hand. And then it made me question something that was immediately answered because in the past, I've always wondered why is it that Martian Manhunter has never used his space abilities to get out of fire? 
Green Beetle does that instantly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess it's an, the implication is like he's better at it. I don't know. Like, I feel like as a whole manhunter, you, you should be good. Yeah, I don't know. That is a good question. But in any case, after he gets out of the heat, Impulse and Batgirl are knocked out the second time in this episode. <laughs> but luckily, in a really funny sequence, a lizard crawls on Green Beetle's shoulder that happens to be green and happens to be Beast Boy because he turns into an elephant immediately. So I love this stealth. Because mm-hmm. uh, B also comes in on the stealth. Robin Cassie come in. So everybody is here to give the work. And Black Beetle wants to come down here, wants to help, but he is stuck at his post, his security guard post. So now Zatanna has enough time to channel her power from Isis and cast this ritual. And in another really cool sequence, Impulse, as Zatanna is about to get hit with lasers, Impulse goes into the super speed. He's able to throw Green Beetle in the path of the lasers just to save Satana's life and hit them with a cleansing spell that hits Green Beetle and Blue. This is where we just see this pillar of light pop up. And back on the, the, the reach ship, the, there's a big indicator that plans have changed in which we mean by who's in control as the Reach ambassador can no longer see the vision, the visuals from Blue and Green Beetles. So he's quite upset. Uh, this is when the scientist shares that they are both off mode. And as the scientist is going in, I love this scene where the ambassador turns to and says, not another word. And it's because he knows how terribly he messed up. Mm-hmm. He sounded like he was about to just kill her right there. <laughs> like, he didn't care. He's like, we have other scientists. Mm-hmm. So if you're like us, you're wondering, how did the heroes figure this out? How did they know to come to this Egyptian place? How did they prepare? Well, I hope you got your popcorn because we get a wall of exposition explaining that they found out about the ritual months ago and they've been preparing in secret and apparently Ted Cord went knew about the Beatles danger so he never put it on but it had Egyptian origin and apparently because the beetle landed here in this ancient tomb it was cleansed so they came back here to cleanse them again and wow, that's how we got that's uh, there are some stuff I'm missing, but there was a lot of detail in this like th- three minutes of montage that was crazy that they never brought it up until now. Welcome to what it's like sharing that comic book knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was this was a lie. We also get introduced to the fact that there is another blue beetle before Ted Cord. There's just so much that's going on. It seems as if the Blue Beetle legacy has spanned since like the 1930s. So hearing this, Jaime is just shocked hearing that all of his friends were a part of this. I It, it is also shocking for us to hear that this plan has been in action since the Beneath episode, which I think was in episode <laughs> five of this season. And we are now like 12 episodes later and so much more has happened since then. Um, So... Jaime is just very thankful to everyone for 
the work that they did to help save him. And everybody is also happy that Jaime is back along with them as also our Green Beetle now is just, again, as his own Martian self. He even states that he's so glad that he's finally able to hear the thoughts of his own mind. He's no longer a passenger. And as Jaime is like thanking people, he even heads on over to Impulse and it's just like, wow, even you were able to keep your mouth shut? Like, this is... <laughs> Bro, like <laughs> this man just saved your life. Chill with that. Like, come on. <laughs> Word, like my guy. And you know, Impulse says that like this is this was this was his mission for a majority of the time. Like he traveled back in time to make sure that you remained the hero. But please know that right now we're gonna head on back to me cracking jokes and me talking all the time because there's no more secrets between us as you also feel like there's no more secrets between the entire team as um nightwing is receiving the report from batgirl that they've gained two more allies uh miss martian appears with lagoon boy lagoon boy is tight he is as salty as the water he swims in as McGann is just pleased to hear that everybody is good, but then it leads into a very difficult conversation where she asks Nightwing where Superboy is, and he tells her that he's on a date with Wendy Harris. That's the cliffhanger, guys. No, uh, the... <laughs> it felt like a cliffhanger, but it had yeah. no significance, honestly. <laughs> no, and uh. This does actually end with Queen Bee revealing that the jacked crew through the fight mm -hmm. as another plan of the light because they needed Blue Beetle off mode. And presumably with a combination of the World World key, now they're really ready for business. Yeah. And that's actually the real cliffhanger of this because this was somewhat introduced throughout the season but now it seems like the light is ready to move forward with their plans as we take a break for the light to finish up their vision board and as we head on over to Bialia to see if we can actually translate some of these hieroglyphic features that dealt with scarabs and aliens and also I guess figure out if aliens built the pyramids now <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I that is the implication here <laughs> <laughs> so as we figure all that out we're going to leave you with a podcast from the forgotten entertainment family that you should be listening to the next time you're not listening to us hello there general mcmillan i was expecting a podcaster of your abilities to be a little older anders you're shorter than i expected no need to be so uncivilized i'm anders that's colleen join us along with our co-host daniel and Flo for yet another star wars podcast because the internet can never have enough nerds talking about Star Wars. This season, we're headed, hopefully briefly, back again to the edges of Tatooine's Dune Sea to explore the new series Obi-Wan Kenobi. We'll search our feelings for what we know is true, that changing your first name from Obi-Wan to Ben is the most effective cover story in the history of the galaxy. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get you podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. <laughs> Now that we have finished through our two episodes here today, getting very close to the penultimate and the ultimate episode of Young Justice at the time, because this is, again, very, very close to when it's reached its cancellation with a season two finale. Um, we are very much big emotions are happening, but the biggest emotion of all is trying to figure out which of these episodes is the most whelmed of the two. Well... 
Um, this one's pretty easy. It's the hunt. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it was so fun watching Roy uh, run around that war world. It's so fun watching these four runaways come into their own and really get a big victory. You know, it really does feel like an epic uh, victory by the end. Uh, so all the plot is really good. The, the the fight is good. The the decisions are creative. Even, even that controversial Nightwing decision is rooted in so much fact and character mm-hmm. that you don't like it, but you respect it. Yeah. Um, the two things that really hold back intervention, as I hinted, that wall of exposition. <laughs> My goodness gracious, for a show that sets things up so carefully, I don't really see what the harm would have been in letting us know about their plan at an earlier point. Yeah. It from our perspective, I mean we it's not like we didn't know they wanted to cleanse Blue Beetle. <laughs> so it was weird that they saved all of this. I feel like they could have sprinkled some of this in earlier. And the underrated thing that I think really holds the episode back is McGann's line, "Where's Connor?" Mhm. Because a few scenes earlier she told the goon boy that she needs to work on herself before she starts dating someone. And I've seen this done really well in shows like Supergirl, where after Supergirl has a lot of high-intensity relationships, she genuinely decides, I'm going to take a step back from any romance. And the show's credit, it keeps her away from romance. It doesn't force her into another thing. And here, I just felt like she had this great character development, great speech about, I'm going to work on me. Um, where's Connor? It's very reductive of her character. And I, I didn't didn't particularly like that choice of line where it could have been had it been approached as like, hey, I'm excited to tell Connor that of my, my updates. Where is he? Mm-hmm. That would have been one thing. But the way it's framed is like she was just going to run to Connor and it was going to be a rebound. So it's it was weird. It was a really weird framing here. Yeah, I agree because it also does feel too that like even if it wasn't that she's running back to be in a rebound relationship with Connor, it also feels like you're saying that like, hey, I'm gonna work on myself, but I'm gonna go tell Connor that I'm working on myself. Like, because there is that earlier scene in one in the season in which he does enter the room and the two of them have a conversation behind doors as the episode ends. But because of the fact we don't know what that conversation was, it does kind of build up the sense that it's just like she's making decisions to then boast about it. If you're working on yourself, it, that should just be it. Leave Connor alone. Just do you. Go go see a movie. Go to a restaurant. I mean, yeah, we, we got some bigger things happening with Blue Beetle at that time. But at the same time, it feels like she is immediately jumping into a very similar situation. So... I'll say this was uh this the intervention episode really wasn't one of my favorites, which I, it's definitely better than Secret, but oh it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but at the same time, it just feels like they knew, and I don't know if maybe it's because they knew that it was just coming to an end, and they just tried to throw in everything as quickly as possible. But it does feel as if they rushed through a lot of things and are trying to push us back into that Connor McGann relationship. Talk, think about that for a second. As you said, this is marks the end of what they thought was the end of the series. The mm-hmm. writers had to know, had some indication that they were going to get canceled mm-hmm. at this point. 
So maybe they had intended to match the first season, which was 23, 26 episodes. So it feels like the episode order was cut and they had to condense ev- all that exposition about mm. the, the exposition wall, I yeah. feel, <laughs> was a result of the studio being like, we you have you have to wrap this up with six less episodes. So I, I you know, you see this on shows like Legend of Korra. If you ever wondered why there was an episode that was literally a clip show, despite <laughs> Avatar never doing that, it was because the studio cut their budget and they they instead of like losing an episode entirely, they said, hey, can we just have fun with it? You know, at le- and like at least be self cheeky about how this show is. So, yeah, I think I, I really do think this is a case of unfortunately they had less time they had less resources they had to shove in some necessary exposition to finish the story but yeah it does feel it is noticeable here in a way that it it wasn't in any other point of the series the irony of that though is um something that i somewhat kind of enjoyed about the hunt is that it feels like a backdoor pilot for a spinoff (laughs) 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 because you know with like with the way the runaway episode ended earlier on, it was like, okay, they're off doing their own thing. Um, it, it is possibility because of the fact they're still connected to like what's happening, that they will come back. But and then here they do. And then they have all the components to make it that backdoor sp- pilot spin-off, where it's just like, here it is, you have this random team who are doing things locally, but know that there's a connection to the bigger threats. They got some benefactor or some cred because there's a connection to the larger franchise by which we have here. Like Lex is the one who's giving them the father box and all of this stuff. And then ultimately it ends with them striking it out on their own. And, you know, we have like somebody else who was a part of the original set of teams and episodes that we saw coming in and being like to give it again some more cred. So it, it's funny that it's like this show as a spinoff here but then clearly showing we're trying to end it on this episode and tying those back to back in this way that sounds so, like your RTA alteration make that spinoff <laughs> yes <laughs> i want to see more roy harper just going around and just like making crazy decisions just like you'll never take me alive <laughs> just <laughs> um but yeah, so I agree with you, though. I definitely think that The Hunt is the most whelmed episode here. Uh, and for me, the reason why it reached that point is because of the conversations that we did have with between Miss um, Martian and Nightwing. Uh, so that whole conversation as they're, you know, having their guilt Olympics um, when they're talking with each other in the bioship as well. Also, I think like even the scene in which like Nightwing has that um, that, that moment in which he's like hey I want these guys on the team however boy you have been the worst part of everything that I'm trying to build here <laughs> so I'm gonna have to kick you off and how that turned was kind of like a big moment because for me it shows that like back when season one after that episode of the uh the the failed the the no win mission where Nightwing is or Dick Grayson, he's just like, I still want to be a hero, but I don't want to be a dark hero like Batman. You see him having this conversation with McGann and when she's like genuinely sorry about lying to her all this time about Aqualad 
and Artemis, putting not only her, but the entire team and especially their partners through this cycle of just like unknowing and being fearful of their status of like, how are they doing behind enemy lines at this point? And the reason why I bring up that therapy episodes because in it Nightwing or Dick Grayson is saying that I don't want to be like Batman because he will do anything for the sake of the mission I feel like if the Batman was placed in that position he would have probably been like well I don't understand why you're upset did we not complete the mission at hand I think also he probably also would have probably put Roy on probation for sack for almost killing the entire team I do (laughs) believe that maybe he would kick him off eventually but I think Batman would have been like, you know, okay, you know, I see why you did what you did and just kind of let it roll and be like, you're under a watchful eye now versus Nightwing, who is very more caring of his, um, his teammates and his family that he's built here. Yeah. He, it's that theme of, I don't want to be Batman, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, explored not as well in shows like Titans, but um, (laughs) it is, it is a prevalent theme and it, it does inform his choice here. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of good character stuff. It was clearly written with a lot of very specific character beats. And, yeah, it's a nice way to bring the whole Roy thing full circle. Because, again, Nightwing don't know Roy. Not really. Not this one. (laughs) Not, not. So it's it's a nice little dig, too, about, like, yeah, they're not that they're not buddies because they don't know each other at all. So Mm -hmm. that was a cool little thing, too. Yeah, and with that, we're going to wrap up this kind of, I guess, this uh, discussion here, because I do want to get into this crazy set of comic book knowledge that I have for you here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So with that, I have some bad news and good news for you. Okay. Bad news. There is no comic book knowledge at all that I can share with you there's no wall of exposition about about <laughs> Blue Beetle out there? There is, but we're saving that for another time. But in terms of our episodes here, because of so much that's happened, the reason why that's the bad news is because good news, every single character of focus that we'll be talking about today has an animation origin. And, oh, okay. I know one. Mm-hmm. I know one. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, that's right, because deep in the great halls of the Justice League, they are assembled the greatest of heroes created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Virgil Hawkins, Ty Longshadow, Eduardo Dorado, and Asami Kasumi. Their mission, to fight injustice, to fight that which is wrong, and serve all meat kind. They are inspired by the super friends. <laughs> these are the super friend oh (laughs) (laughs) yes so back in 1973 we got introduced to the super friends which is a hanna-barbera produced animated series that detailed the adventures of some of the most popular heroes of dc universe at the time so you had like superman batman wonder woman and aquaman made up the super friends back in the original series um and then there are also some other characters like our boy melvin um from season one the the guy who decides to create the whole war of the worlds story arc in that one episode oh yes uh so the show super friends served as like a version of the justice league 
and offered an opportunity for viewers to see a more robust roster of heroes that we wouldn't see until probably many years later in Justice League Unlimited. Uh, so we didn't have like this singular focus on just those four. They had like special guest appearances. And this included years later, uh, about 1977 to be exact, where there was a call for more superheroes of color to be premiering in these shows. So by September of that year, thanks to the animation designer Alex Toth and the writer of the show, Jeffrey Scott, who were two Hanna-Barbera creators, that dream became a reality. We got many new superheroes, but four of these are who ended up to being inspired by other things that were happening, but also ended up becoming super friends themselves as they joined our original four in their journey to fight for truth, justice in a peaceful way. Mm. Uh, so first up, as I mentioned, we got Virgil Hawkins. We already know a lot about Static. And we don't have to worry about having to learn more because Static wasn't even the super friend. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I I, <laughs> I assumed we Static Shock did not make his premiere. Because, I mean... Uh, but Romeo wasn't even born yet to do his song. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, instead, we got this other original black superhero who controlled lightning, Black Vulcan. Who? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, no, I do not mean Black Lightning. If that's what you were thinking, I mistook it by. Black Vulcan was one of the first new members of the Super Friends who was introduced under this directive. And he was an entirely new character, mainly because DC was in a legal battle with the creator of Black Lightning, Tony Isabella, who refused to have Black Lightning as a part of this show. So Toth and Scott created Black Vulcan as a replacement of Black Lightning being a super friend. Well, uh, you know, he really was hedging his bets. He looked into the future. He was like, yeah, they're going to do it right in uh, a lot of years from now, so might as well wait. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Black Vulcan, he is a character that's very different in terms of, like, the look and styles is very similar, but there is one big difference in which um, he can actually turn into lightning, and he has enough power to open up a rip in the space-time continuum, allowing him to time travel. Okay, Kitty Pride. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, though, there is one cool comic book thing that happened with Black Vulcan. Um, of course, Tony Isabella did not like the fact that there was this other Black character who had control over lightning and had a very similar character, character design to his character. So when he published Black Lightning number 10, he introduced a story where a criminal named Barbara Hannah <laughs> created a black lightning imposter by the name of Jocko and what ended up happening was that black lightning and Jocko fought against each other but then black lightning decided as like you know what I do believe that you could strike it out as your own as a hero and that is how the story of Jocko the black Vulcan uh, satire came to an end <laughs> I, you know what? Respect. It's petty. <laughs> yeah. But he did let it go at the same time. 
So I I gotta respect that. You get your digs in, but at the end of the day, you're like, look, the kids are gonna have a black superhero. So even though it should be me, I I can respect that. So I, I do like <laughs> I do like the mix of petty and uh acceptance there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um speaking of like other characters who I don't actually don't have anything. The, uh, the rest of these don't have any petty <laughs> moments, actually. <laughs> Thankfully not. Um, the next uh, next character that we have, uh, as I mentioned, is Asami Kusumi. Uh, this is Sam in our show. Uh, this is the character who is able to propel herself forward through I don't know what kind of means. It seems like it's just like either sound waves. But I'm going to assume that this is the power of wind. Because this character is inspired by the character Samurai on the Super Friends show. <laughs> yeah. <Oof>. yeah. <laughs> um, so the name of this character is Toshi Eto. Uh, Toshi's powers are drastically different from his Young Justice counterpart. But I'm assuming there's some wind component because he could generate the powers of the elements. I'm assuming it's not like what we've seen in the last season of The Flash. Hopefully, it's not like Caitlin Stone in any way she performed, or sorry, Keone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. So, the Toshi mostly uses power over wind to give him the ability to fly and do a lot of air bending, and Toshi would end up becoming a replacement for Red Tornado on the show. He was the last airbender. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um i think that because of the fact that we went from again this was a a person who was of japanese origin uh the 70s was a weird time so we lost the name samurai and instead decided to call this new character asami or sam for short to still kind of have this connection there uh, next up, another crazy story here is we have Eduardo Dorado. So it's not going to be shown in this season, but we do know that eventually he does become this hero El Dorado within our Young Justice universe. And El Dorado has... Honestly, I don't even know what they were trying to do with this character. <laughs> <laughs> he has so many powers that they include much like his Young Justice counterpart, teleportation. However, it was such on a larger scale that um, his teleportation was used when he took his cape and wrapped it around him, and he could basically go anywhere in the world. There was no limit to his distance. Oh, kind of like a cloak from yes. Uh, Marvel, yes. Yeah. Uh, another power that he had was the power to create hard construct illusions. This allowed him to create things that had sounds and can actually attack. There's that one point where he created a sea serpent, I think, um, that actually was able to project water. Okay. It also made he also made trains with sounds. Um a very much like ghost train, I guess, on Rick and Morty. <laughs> the other abilities that he had was that he was able he had telepathic and telekinetic abilities. And there's a possibility that he was also able to fly. <laughs> Sure, throw it in. Everyone, mm-hmm. grab bag of powers. Get you. <laughs> there was no true explanation of his origin in any way, shape, or form, much like Black Vulcan. 
and also Asami. They, they didn't really have any origin stories shown in these shows, but there is a theory that he possibly gained his powers through his Aztec ancestors because they were like he had pre-Columbian knowledge and he wore a lot of like Aztec material around his body for his super suit, which was basically a cape and one of those... Um, Honestly, it was, it's like a, I don't even know what to call it. It was like lingerie. That feels wrong to say, <laughs> but it kind of looks like that. Oh, actually, you know what? I take it back. I take it back. I know this character. It looks a lot like um, Nate, um, Namor from, oh, yes, from yes. Black Panther, but there was a little bit more leaning into the Aztec culture on his suit, plus that red cape. Okay. I'm I'm kind of picturing it. I'm getting like some lucha, mucha lucha vibes, but just ignore my <laughs> my self pictures. Um, he does end up having a recent comic book introduction, so he does end up becoming a member of Justica. This is the, I believe, is the Mexican branch of the Justice League. Um, wow. so but he gets introduced. It is weird because I don't think it's actually connected to the Justice League, but they do kind of act as the Justice League in Mexico. In Suicide Squad, Most Wanted, El Diablo, and Amanda Waller, number five, this is where we see his appearance on part of that team. And in the comic, it's shared that he his history is that he possibly killed his family. Um, hey. But he's a pacifist. Mm-hmm. So no one knows the actual origin story. And even funnier <laughs> is... Is the fact that he told Harley Quinn that he was a part of the Super Friends originally, but when she corrected him and said, don't you mean the Justice League, he got confused and said, wait, are you sure that's not a cartoon? (laughs) Okay. And finally, we have our last member of our Super Friends grouping here. We have Ty Longshadow. Um, This is actually the only person to actually keep the same name besides Eldorado throughout time. So much like his Young Justice counterpart, Ty could actually grow to be about 50 feet tall. And the difference is, though, that his body actually grew versus Ty in our Young Justice series, where it's like a somewhat laser-resistant version of him, of this like very <laughs> long shadow of his. And he does get an origin where it does get shown in the show as well, where um, he, when he was a boy, he went on a walk with the chief of his tribe, and during that time, the chief gave him some magic dust. This magic mm-hmm. dust apparently was it gives him the ability to channel his strength at larger proportions. And while this is all being explained, we see that uh, someone is in the distance watching and listening. And this thief goes in and takes some of this magic dust so that she can also gain the ability to grow at much larger at a much larger size and this villain ends up becoming the dc super villain legion of doom member giganta you see this is why you don't leave around magic dust all over the place because then anybody can take it exactly and now we got like 50 (laughs) feet tall people walking around (laughs) uh so she does end up becoming more of his um his like main villain throughout the super friend series and that is kind of like a wrap-up of our super friends here. And this is actually not the first time we've seen these characters in animated productions. Oh. Yes, because thankfully, um, Netflix, hashtag not sponsored, has recently gained the rights to 
air the stream the episodes of Jung of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. So if you head on over to Justice League Unlimited season one, episode nine, episode title Ultimatum, you will see that the ultimates are basically all of these characters, including another set of super friends, the Wonder Twins, who also make an appearance. Uh RIP the show that was supposed to have those Riverdale people in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so again, there are no comic book origins. In fact, some of these characters don't even make um, full comic book appearances. But we do get a chance to see, I think there's like at least six or seven seasons of uh, Super Friends that are out there. They also do appear again, like I said, in that Justice League Unlimited episode where um, also, fun fact, Greg Rainwater, who's the voice of Ty Longshadow in Young Justice, is also the voice of Ty Longshadow in that episode as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. And we do see some differences in which, like, uh, Black Vulcan, uh, I think this is because it's around the time the static was around, instead of him being called Black Lightning or Soul Power or Static. Oh, he, God. <laughs> he does adopt the name Juice. Oh, that's not, that's not better because of OJ. Yeah. <laughs> and Asami or Toshi, who is the character Samurai, is now Wind Dragon in the Ultimatum episode. That is also not better. <laughs> yeah. No. But yeah, I think that because I did end up, because I just had a very vivid memory of that episode. So I ended up watching that episode, Hunt and Ultimatum back to back. So it's kind of nice to see how over time these characters have grown and changed uh pun on that being for ty uh, <laughs> and um also fun fact was that that episode for ultimatum was written by the great Dwayne mcduffie who um as we know has done monumental work on trying to um create more characters of color within dc within the dc animated world or dc itself before his passing so uh, even though there's still some work that needs to be done in terms of like, hey, you want to introduce these characters of color, we can stray away from having the very negative stereotypical names, uh, such as the Black Lightning or the Black Vulcan or Samurai mm -hmm. or all these. Uh, I think also, I don't, I'm not too entirely too sure about Long Shadow, but I also feel like maybe there might be something there. there there's there, we are growing as individuals to hopefully create more characters of color so that they adopt not just these legacy roles but their own brand new stories and seeing them being portrayed i think um within young justice we're seeing a lot of great work here in which they're just like you know the story really increased how they are being presented because we did have this moment where it's just like hey we would love to see a spin-off of these characters here um you know super friends 3.0 in some way shape or some way shape or form so um long way of just saying keep on doing the good work uh but there's still more to come <laughs> yes yes keep keep workshopping those names guys you're almost yeah. there <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> all right so that wraps up our episode of young justice season two episode 17 through 18 aka big bad beetle bros uh, join us next week as we wrap up our Young Justice Invasion coverage before we hop into Outsiders. We are it's going to be big. There's going to be a lot that's going to happen. Um, this is the this is where it all 
came apart for us <laughs> as kids. Where it was just like, we lost this big show. What were the ramifications of that? How long do we have to wait? We promise we won't, you won't have to wait too long after that episode is before we come back. Um, or we'll do the full hiatus so you can really feel it. <laughs> <laughs> well, while, while I guess during that hiatus, be sure to check us out on our social media. <laughs> Our Patreon uh, for more content. In the meantime, take care of yourselves and remember, do your research before taking a job. You never know if Deathstroke might be a colleague of yours who has earned their salary rights. And if you ever get find a blue beetle in the Egyptian desert, know that you'll be immortalized between a monologue, a monologue, <laughs> a monologue, another monologue, and another monologue. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Yet Another DC Animated Podcast is a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. If you liked what you heard, leave a review and share us with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at YADC Animated Pod.